0: An pass upfield, Makey Tom Pierce gathers it in on the dead run
1: and races all the way to score for Los Angeles. The 72-yard touchdown play. First down inside his own five
0: from his own end zone.
1: Sacked and a safety
0: on Rudolph. Aaron Donald and Clay Matthews got to him.
2: Inspired by the presence of Captain Jack Youngblood, playing in pain with his broken leg. A savage Ram defense. They hand it to Steven. Great jump cut. 45 a whole burst to it. 20. step The tackle. Runs left. 25 still on his feet. 46 yard goal by number 39. Running back, number
0: 29, Eric Dickerson. Johnny Hicker, a high school quarterback, is going to throw. The fake is on and He's got a first down to
1: Stephen Bailey. Talk Radio
3: with Derek C. Apollo and Michael Stewart. Welcome to Rams Talk Radio, this is Derek C. Apollo, my co-host, my partner in crime, former LA Rams offensive back, Michael Stewart. Wow, we've been on hiatus for a hot minute, but the hot stove for football, I, I know I use a baseball analogy, but the hot stove for football is about to get underway, but for coaches, it already is. Mike, how you doing?
2: Hey, I'm doing great. D.C.? Looking and getting excited about what we have coming up this offseason coaching changes, players going into retirement, coming back out of retirement, all that good stuff.
3: Just a bunch of guys gone. There you go. Well, yeah. The Rams have lost some, something like six or seven coaches. Yeah. I mean, bananas numbers here. And now we really got to talk about that. Because I don't know about you, but I went into this offseason totally excited for what the foundation for what the Rams have for next year. Now, if you go back to past conversations we had, you know, when there's been checkups on the Rams staff, that, you know, that's always, that's always an, you know, a concern. And some, you know, I, I think for the most part, Mike, tell me if you think I'm wrong. For the most part, the coaching changes usually have worked out for the Rams
4: but a lot this time with a young roster i'm concerned i'm concerned especially
3: when you know you, you you're replacing raheem morris who goes to the falcons to be their head coach congratulations morris um i'm nowhere near as down on him as so many people on social media were for the rams i i thought yeah, he was so. a good job i thought it was garbage that Basically, so many people held him responsible for a defense that was basically laid bare this last offseason to begin price cutting. I thought he did a phenomenal job considering all things. So, he wasn't perfect. Just want to lay that out there, but I think he did a phenomenal job. He takes with him a ton of guys, by the way. But let's go with Raheem Morris first. What are your thoughts on the Rams losing Raheem Morris to Atlanta? And their replacement, Chris Shula. I mean, especially considering you played for his grandfather, Don, back when you were a Dolphin.
2: Yeah, yeah. Let's uh, start with uh, Raheem uh, again. You know, uh, kudos to a coach to get a chance to get a head job for Raheem, second go round, uh, and you know, hopefully he gets a little bit better stay than than it was in Tampa. But uh as far as with the Rams, I, I somewhat agree. Not somewhat, I do agree with, with the your assessment. Think he got a raw deal, and I want to throw something on the table. Remember we had a guy named Wade Phillips, and remember we talk about or I talk about body language. That's all I do when I watch these games now. It's just I just look at the sideline and just see who's engaged, who's not. Uh it, it it just tells a lot about what's really going on. And to me, it just seems like there were a lot of times uh Coach McVeigh and him may have been on different pages. You kind of look at a coach and you can tell, especially defensive coach, when they are doing their own thing as opposed to maybe not doing fully what they uh are, are out there trying to do or get accomplished, you know? And so you also have, you know, a, a defensive back coach who left and came back in Aubrey pleasant. And, you know, though you would hope that everybody's on the same page, you just never know. You don't want to be a coach, I guess, saying looking over your shoulder. uh, And, and so I I just, I just remember some games, especially down the stretch and in, in the playoffs, that, that Raheem just kind of looked like. Not that he was just going through the motion, and and maybe that's part of his his personality that he doesn't get too up or down. He he just looked kind of unconcerned. I don't know. Did you ever notice that?
3: No,
4: that's why I'm actually interested what you're saying because I'm I'm I didn't see any kind of possible conflict there. I. I I think
3: in my view, I think they knew that there's a really good chance Raheem Morris is not back next year. And so this was kind of the end of the line. That's maybe that's the feeling I had. I don't think it was ever any kind of conflict between the two. I I but I'm curious as to why you thought that there was some kind of at least tension there.
2: Well, let's let's go back to I brought up Wade Phillips because a lot of the reason why Wade Phillips was out of there, I believe, because McVeigh at the time was really a little indifferent of maybe how much the players loved him. You know, I know I sat in, you know, me along with a lot of the other defensive guys for when our RAM reunions get togethers uh, and sitting in the meeting rooms with him. And, you know, dude was just a different guy, you know, older, mature, been around the block, been a head coach. And uh, the players just kind of loved him. Go out to practice, you saw the same thing, and then he's gone. It's like, wait a minute, that that guy had things kind of dialed in. So I just always get a little concerned when you have on any staff a guy who's been a former head coach who now has to get back in the saddle uh, as a position at D.C. It takes a special individual because... Especially with McVay being somewhat still pretty young coach, uh, though he's I, I I'm I'm sure he's proven himself that you know we can kind of get rid of that label now with uh, the most you know times getting to the Super Bowl you know you know best record over what the last four or five years you know getting the Super Bowl twice in five years so I mean that speaks for itself but. I I think that's what a lot of the dilemma was this year with uh, the guys over there in San Francisco. You know, the the head coach making the defensive coordinator come down on the field and you just kind of look at his body language and see the same thing. And then he sent shown the door, you know, a couple of days after the Super Bowl. So that ultimately leads me to this question, D.C., why is it that when a team doesn't achieve whatever it's they
4: consider, it's always the defense that gets the blame? Well, it's a good question. <laughs> I don't I don't see it as
3: okay. always the case. I, I mean I can look back at several other teams' losses this year and pin them solely on the head coaching. Especially early. The Bengals game is a great example. The Steelers game is a great example of that, and this just decisions that were made. Then we can look at the defense this year and think, okay, there we are some times where we wish calls would have been made differently.
4: But I think automatically, automatically, I point back to the personnel they have.
3: So it's hard for me in, in this case to make. To go off and even answer that question with my limited
4: scope in terms of, you know, I well, how about this? The Niners fire Steve Wilkes when Kyle Shanahan didn't even know,
3: didn't have his team prepared for the overtime rules in the Super Bowl, which, by the way, is more embarrassing than what's been made out to be
4: online. How is your team not know the overtime rules? Just want to point that out.
2: Exactly. Exactly. The only reason why I say that is because having been a defensive player, I was on three staffs that the defensive coaches was shown the door only for the offensive coaches to get shown the door the next year. So my point and question becomes this thing called NFL football or football in general, it is a team sport many times talked about in three phases, offense, defense, special team. And we can point to games that it doesn't matter how good your defense is, you can literally lose a game three to zero and still get blamed as a defense for not, oh man, they should have held him. they should have did that. When an offense can go out, three and out, three and out, three and out, three and out, ain't get nothing done offensively. And it's like, it always comes back to, oh, well, the defense, you said it yourself. Oh, they didn't have the guys. What do you mean they didn't have the guys? They have plenty enough guys on defense. But my point is the way the rules are now, you can't hit quarterbacks. You can't Chuck a guy past five yards. You can't hit a guy hard and let him know that he can't call what we said, the Briars patch. If you come inside between these numbers and in between these hashes, you are going to get hard enough that your helmet's going to get knocked off. So when you can't really play defense, I don't know how us as fans, we can really go, oh, it's the defense. When the defense, you can't even tackle a guy. When those are the things that the Steel Curtain, the Chicago Bears, what were the Chicago Bears? They had headhunters. You know what I'm saying? They had guys on defense that would hit you. Durison, Vince Plank. Those guys, Richard Dent, the Fritz, Wilbur Marshall, those dudes would hit you and you you was going to pay for it the giant defenses with Lawrence Taylor. They had dudes that could hit you. So my thing is, in today's time, I don't know that any defense can hold any any team to any, you know, relatively low amount of points with the way you have to play. That's all I'm pointing out. It just seems like no matter what, the defense typically gets the blame. It's and then it goes down to secondary. Again, I'm biased being a secondary, but oh, the secondary is the secondary when everyone knows. In order for you to have Legion of Boom defense, you gotta have a seven man front that is dominating. That's what makes a good secondary. Don't matter.
3: And then you Personal look at this pick. year's draft, right?
2: You yeah. Look at this yeah. year's
3: draft and what the Rams have, and they actually have a full complement of picks. Yeah, and I would fully expect them to use it mostly on the defense. I I, I want to counter something though. You mentioned it's mostly I de- I don't think it's always mostly defensive guys. I mean, look at the Bills this year. The Bills fire Ken Dorsey. You know, they they their offensive coordinator was the was the guy that they shipped out of there for any guy on defense. We will see on occasion, uh, we've seen it happen over and over again. Look what happened again. It happened in Cleveland, too, by the way. Cleveland didn't, didn't extend their guy, kept their defensive guy, which they should have, by the way, they, which they should have. So it, it does happen where the offense takes the blame. But I would argue that it's hard to ignore when the defensive guy
4: is the one that gets hammered when it's your head coach who makes the mistakes. There you go. I mean, again, I, I mean, the, the easiest one, the one that's fresh, you just mentioned is Kyle Shanahan. Blaton. Blayton. Blayton. Right. So we'll see. I mean, I'm curious here. You know, you, you played for
3: Don Shula. You know, it's been a hot minute now. I'm not not trying mm-hmm. to make you sound too old, but it's been 30 <laughs> years since you played for him. Yeah, it's been a minute. Um, yeah, yeah, but you you did get to know him a little bit, and now his grandson is the defensive coordinator. What do you think? What do you think got the Rams to really zero in on promoting within Chris Shula to be defensive
4: coordinator when you had guys out there, including your former defensive coordinator? Who you interviewed. Yeah, absolutely.
2: Well, I think what happens, it's the same thing that it's going to happen with, you know, and we're going to I'm going to say Frisco only because they're somewhat our nemesis in the same conference. Uh, When you bring in defensive. Coordinators or different people who control the defense, there typically is a change. And so you have a difference in philosophy, you have a difference in scheme, you have different wording. So I think of hiring someone from within usually benefits an organization because you can keep a little bit of the continuity. Now, is Chris Shula going to do it the same way Raheem did it? I, I I was sure he's going to try to keep something similar because the lesser guy on defense and offense is Matter of fact uh, has to spend less time thinking the quicker and better they usually are going to play. so I think hiring within it just kind of settles the ship a little bit faster uh obviously it, it from from Chris's standpoint, you know he he's been on the Rams now for eight years, you know serving as a linebacker coach, a pass rush coordinator, and so on and so forth. So hopefully it's just one of these things that he's proven, hey, it's his time to get his shot. And now we'll be able to see what he can do. And again, he has a Shula name, no matter how much he may have tried to just, hey, I'm going to just a coach. That's
4: a pretty pretty big legacy uh, to build upon. I mean, that is. That is. An, uh,
3: that, and you know what? I think the sad thing is, is for the most part, we've had several Shulas come through the college and yeah, professional yeah, ranks yeah. since then, yeah, yeah, since the days yeah, of yeah. dawn, and yeah, yeah. nobody has been able to remotely <laughs> live up to the Not legacy. at all, not at all. But then again, it shouldn't be his mission to live up to, to his grandfather. Just be Mike, you know, be Mike Shula, you know. You mean Chris? Sorry, yeah, Chris. See, yeah, all yeah. this shit, David Mike, you know. David Mike, exactly,
2: yeah. No, you know? you're absolutely correct. And so, but again, when you have certain certain names, I mean, I don't care how much Bronny James is like, hey, I'm just out here to be Bronny James. No, man, you're, you're going to get compared. Hey, man, I'm going to try to be, my, I'm just little Jordan. No, man, it, it, your dad was the best dude, Michael Jordan, to play in the effort of the game, considered. So, yeah, I mean, those are big shoes to fill. And again, you, you really just have to... uh embraced it and go about it so you know i'm hoping with the continued continuity a guy that's been in the building a guy that should know a lot of the players and uh, their strengths uh you know especially if you're a defensive passing game coordinator that you spent some time having to deal with typically linebacker secondary coaches are kind of somewhat interchangeable Uh, Again, all my defensive coordinators either have been secondary players or uh, linebackers. So uh, I I think that that is par for the course. And so, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to young Chris Shula doing a good job.
3: I mean, I hope he does. I hope I do wonder what's taking him so long to move up the ranks defensive coordinator. I wonder that. I would love to have a conversation with Mc McVeigh on that, you know, just to pick his brainest, you know, and then all of a sudden, why does he get the job over Brandon Staley or other high quality defensive coordinator coaches that were out there in the market once Raheem left? Well, I'm, think I'm about very it. Very curious.
2: Again, think about it. DC, I led off with it's it's a unique situation when you have former head coaches who now have to roll back into a OC or a DC or a position coach. It's not like your mindset is going to change. And maybe I say this about myself, you know, I've interviewed now that my sons are back in college for, for a couple of head jobs here in the area. Didn't get them for different reasons. Turned down one, didn't get the other one. Uh, but the thing is, I've also been asked, hey, would you mind, you know, coaching on a staff? And I go, nah, have no problem. But I haven't received a call because, you know, the word is, well, as long as he knows to he's got to run our defense or fall in line. And I'm thinking, OK, why would that be something to think of if I'm saying, yeah, man, I'll, I'll, I have no problem being a position coach or whatever but." A team needs, but because people know your pedigree and they know what you've done, they sometimes get a little nervous of well, is this guy coming here to ultimately set himself up to take my job? So
4: that takes a coach, head coach, to be strong enough to uh be, be
2: fine in his own skin, if you will, to say hey, man, I want to bring a guy in there who can coach. I don't care who he is or what he's done. Some guys, they're always going to feel like if they do that, what if the guy's a little more charismatic, guy starts getting along with the players? Because that's the biggest thing as a head coach. You want your your coaches to be able to trust you and, and not only trust, but follow you. So when you get this thing, and those are the kinds of things I've looked at with Coach McVeigh's hires or non-hires, uh, it seems to come down to him making sure guys that he hires are going to basically fall in line. So I think that may be a thing where you know you get a Chris Shula; he's grind, you know, grinded it out uh, over a number of years. So if you give a guy a chance, I think you feel more comfortable that this guy is going to actually listen and do what I'm asking, uh, even though we may disagree without fear of this guy trying to get your job. That's just my personal opinion. That's why we let Jeff Fisher go. Uh, well, Jeff, there's a
3: lot of reasons why Jeff Fisher got let go. <laughs>
2: well, I'm talking about when— Middle
3: school offense, remember?
2: When we were—when <laughs> when he was our D.C., I mean, we yeah, we love error.
3: playing for wrong Coach Fish. Era. Yeah, yeah, wrong error.
2: So I mean, eventually got his chance, and and I think did a pretty good job at the head coaching position uh, for a number of years until. But it's always been interesting why he hasn't coached again. I don't know if it's
3: well. We're gonna get on get to that. Well, let's hold off of that. Yeah. Um, yeah, take a quick break. Here's a word from our sponsors.
4: All right, so you mentioned Jeff Fisher not getting a job again. Also, you mentioned Wade Phillips
3: not getting a job again. And I've been kind of feeling this way about the Rams now for a hot minute, Not just about coaches, but they t- over the years, they've taken a lot of criticism for letting players go
4: and letting right. coaches go. I mean, like Since 2016-ish. That's what we've seen. A lot of guys they brought in were successful. All of a sudden, the Rams let them go. And everybody's mad about it. And then we never hear from them again. Let me throw a couple names at you. How about Tremaine Johnson? Remember yeah. him? Yeah. Okay. Um, Michael Brockers. Right. right.
3: Remember him? Of course, we know... Wade Phillips, and the most obvious one pre-Sean McVeigh is is Jeff Fisher, the guy that McVeigh replaces. I want to throw something out there, especially as we get ready to enter free agency and the Rams are about to let some guys go. Mm-hmm. Every year,
4: there's almost
3: assuredly one or two episodes by some of the top Rams podcasts out there hammering the Rams For the personnel decisions that they make.
4: Especially with guys that we love that they let go. How about this one? Sammy Watkins. Everybody was mad when the Rams chose not to give them that big money. I just want to lay this out there. The Rams know what they're doing.
3: Mm -hmm. And they see these guys every day in practice. Right, They see these guys in the film room as coaches they know what they're doing and what those coaches are doing i think the rams deserve a lot more credit for the personnel decisions that they've been making i'm not talking about draft because honestly the draft outside of last year a couple of years prior had been a bit questionable for a time between 2017 2019ish 2020 they've been drafting really well I still find some good gems and later in the rounds. And then we had a couple of years that were kind of garbage. And then last year's draft was, was fire, right? It was, it was a great draft. One that we all universally loved. Right. So now we're looking forward to 2024. Okay. Yeah. you will see what there was, we'll what they're building. But I'm talking about just w- when the time comes to let somebody go, I think the Rams are among one of the best teams in the league at knowing when it's time. I just give you a yeah. bunch of examples. And I can give you more.
2: No, no, I, I, I think a lot of those names have, uh, have proven to be g- good uh, decisions that were made. I think they've taken a page out of what would have been called the Belichick era. Is hey, we would rather get a guy, get rid of a guy, or let a guy go one year too early than one year too late, which that makes a lot of sense. I mean. Because one, maybe you can get a little more value in a trade or uh, again, we're sitting here talking about, hey, the, these guys make pretty good decisions. So that that speaks for itself. So I, I would agree uh, for the most part that those, especially the names that you name or some of the situations that, hey, we, we're going to let some guys go a little bit too early or there were specific reasons for you know, having made a call. So uh, it'll be interesting to see, you know, again, how these things, uh, you know, pan out. I guess my spillover is how do you think the offense ran this year?
3: I think that the secret to the Sean McVay offense has always been that you had to have a functional running game. You know, when you have all the receivers and you have your quarterback doing all these things, that was that. That's it, right? That's how it's supposed to be. That's that's what the Rams are about. No, 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 no. It's about the Rams' running back and everything runs through the running back for the Rams. And until they really got their guy, Kyron Williams, going at running back, that offensive line that offense was going to struggle. And All they right. got their guy. So uh, that that's where I that end with that. As long as they And and Also, by the way, that's why if I'm the Rams, I'm making sure I have good depth at the running back position this offseason. Just because when they did not have Kyron Williams, they just weren't the same. They need a guy. It's almost a necessity in the NFL now to have two starting caliber running
4: backs. I just want to point that out. I mean, tell me if you think I'm wrong. I think it's almost a necessity now.
2: Oh, no, absolutely. I I think that's becoming now league-wide. I mean, you look at part of the pushback again on this guy up in Frisco is he didn't use his running back in the second half that probably could have sealed the game for him against the Chiefs. So uh, they had to do Chris McCaffrey. So Yeah, teams, I think, are realizing uh, that that running back position still is a pivotal part of any offense in any game. Uh, I'm interested to see what Tennessee ends up doing with Derrick Henry. Now, if they have a new coach, if uh, he's coming to the door saying, oh, man, we'd love to keep Derrick and all that stuff, but I think Derrick Henry thinks (laughs) he should be getting a lot more money than what he's going to get. So it'll be interesting to see what he's happens not. with him,
3: but he's not. No, <laughs> he's shown every ounce of every everything film wise is showing that Derrick Henry's slowing.
2: Oh, for sure,
3: and that's what I mean. That's that's okay. That's that's why I feel bad for running backs. You know, running backs really put all the work in to carry offenses. I mean, we were just talking about Kyron Williams; the offense runs through him, right? Right, he, and yet post Todd Gurley. By the way, that's another name the Rams were willing to eat cash on to
4: get him out of there. And they did it at the perfect time in terms of performance wise. Just want to point that out. Close to perfect. They should never have resigned him to get with. But you know, of course back then we
3: were all like, Yeah, 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 they resigned him.
4: Yeah, yeah, yeah. We
3: had no idea that knee was in as bad a shape as it was.
2: Well, it's interesting because Uh, football for whatever reason, I don't know why people think that it's a career because people may see me and they go, Well, you know, hey, hey, Mike, why'd you retire? I go, First of all, that's like 30 years ago, second of all, I played 10 seasons, and so I'm like, I don't know, I think it's a false reality that people think that football, a highly contact sport, especially in my day with practices full go camp four or five week grinds double days full go uh yeah man it's only so much you're either willing to give or take and and, you know play in that type of situation where it's a high contact sport so this idea that you're gonna go play You know, twenty some years as a football player is just a false narrative. I I I think if you get you a good three, four, five years in, you could say you really had a pretty decent NFL career. You know, we keep seeing this thing, and give give me some take on this. Uh, what's your take on Aaron Donald now, along with McVeigh? Seems like every year I'm retiring.
4: Well, I think McVeigh is kind of backing away from that. Then I think I think he's actually kind of enjoying this rebuild. Cause,
3: you know, for come ten and seven on a rebuild year really nice to have. I think that in Aaron Donald's case, it's more along the lines of the guy is such a hardcore performer. He is he expects so much out of his performance on the field that he generally does not want to overstay his welcome. And I don't think he wants to wind up worrying about being in his fifties and sixties and and being hurt either. The guy takes such good care of his body, I don't think he can even fathom the idea that he could have a hard time physically when he's in his sixties. So I think it's more along the lines of him wanting to get out at the right time than him just, you know, just like trying to be wishy washy about it. That's just my opinion. I, I've never had a conversation with him. to No, I would love to have a conversation with that guy. Um, but when we look at what he's actually done in his career, one thing's been constant with him is that he, that dude works hard every off season to be ready for the season. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that guy puts himself through the ropes. And uh, how long do you want to physically do that? I have a question for you, though. And it just dawned on me and you know, you've been, you've been, you've coached a bit at the high school level. I'm really curious. And I, I've never asked this question. Like when you mm-hmm. let, when you retired from the NFL,
4: did you pursue coaching at the NFL level? I did not. And that would be one of, I don't want to say mistakes, but, Getting into coaching later, had I just
2: maybe taken one year off and got right in it, I probably might be. I don't want to toot my own horn. Definitely would be a DC, uh, for sure. But you know, you could say this many years later, I would have had maybe a head coaching chance. Given if you stay in the game, having the right mentality, because just like you know, uh, a lot of it has to do with relationships, and so. Uh, yeah, it would have been a lot easier than when I then tried to go back and, and start coaching when I started back in college, back in what, 2013 or whatever, uh, had I did it a year, maybe two years out, out of graduate, you know, cause you got all your contacts and different things like that. People that you play for coaching or DCN and so, uh, lot easier for you to get in there but no i didn't i didn't pursue it then at that point in time was like hey man this has been a good run i'm out of here let me move on to something else to do just wasn't interested in sitting in any more meeting rooms
3: (laughs) oh see i i i I get that but do you ever look back now and think man i wish i would have
2: the thing is having got back into coaching so many years later yeah if it's something you're going to do you should do it you know as soon sooner than later you look at the guys who are former players who ended up now still coaching whether it's in college or the pros they usually got into it right after or within you know maybe 3 years mm-hmm. because again you you have your your contacts who are readily available, still coaching. And it's a lot easier to make a call as opposed to when I started back, the first person I talked to was, uh, you know, my former teammate, Vince Newsom, who's high up in the, well, it's now Baltimore organization, uh, former Rams, Vince Newsom, along with Jerry Gray, who was coaching, uh, is still coaching NFL. And it's like, well, Stu, you know, what have you been doing? Uh man, I've been a financial advisor. Oh, I opened up my own little details. It's like, well, man, you, you you probably need to get back into coaching and then, you know, at least get that on the top of your resume so that now when you approach teams, uh it's a lot easier. Oh, yeah, okay. He's been coaching as opposed to trying to go in the door. What you've been doing the last year. Oh man, I've been working in financial services. So Yeah, a lot of that plays into it. And then now, you know, don't want to say, you know, but at 58, it makes it harder because they consider coaching a young man's game. Mm -hmm. So, though, there's a lot of opportunity still with the the fellowships that you can get involved in. And, you know, there's a couple of people still at high level that still may know my name. But, yeah, it makes it a little more difficult. The more years you're away
4: from the game, no doubt well, wow. well, anybody out there listening who uh, <laughs> might want
3: to give Mike a shot at age of the eight, or the eight, you know <laughs> why not the college ranks?
2: Well, it's the same thing, it's the same thing if you look at, if you go down, take your time anytime and pull up a guy's resume, college pro. And what you'll typically see is a stint being a graduate assistant. Most of those guys, for whatever reason, they are able to get into the coaching and move up the ranks, having been a co- graduate assistant somewhere for a year or two, or maybe even three. You know, then it's usually for NFL jobs, you become some type of quality control uh, situation. But the reality is, A young man who has no family, has nothing to do, they can come in at a graduate assistant level or quality control where they're not really making a whole lot of money and grind it out, sleep on someone's couch until they get into the position, they get a paid position. So in my case, man, I got a family. I got some other things I want to do. I'm not going to be no graduate assistant. Not happening. So uh, so those are kind of
4: some of the drawbacks when you try to get into the game a little bit later. All right, so yeah, next
3: time, next show, we gotta start talking about the Rams and free agency. Yes. Yeah, the guys they gotta go after, the guys they need to resign. I think Kevin yes. Dotson's at the top of the list, but you can't franchise on twenty one million dollars; is gonna be too much right now. If you just kind of Wet the appetite for our upcoming episodes. Mike, if there's one move the Rams got to start with for the offseason, what's it going to be?
2: Uh, I'm going
4: to say Ed Rusher. Through so the draft we, or through we, free agency? Uh, I, I, You know, I, I like
2: free agency. You know what you have. But again, if you get the right guy coming out of college, sometimes those guys can come in and make an immediate impact.
3: There you go. All right, for me, I think my number one order of business is to get Kevin Dotson re-signed long term. Uh, that puts mm-hmm. the offensive line to bed, and they can focus on everything else. So focus on ah. that, getting that guy locked down, and then, you know, I, I think the draft is going. <sighs> we say this every year, and then the Rams just shock the crap out of you. Um, I think the draft is going to be mostly getting that defense, you know, set up. You said at front seven like a legion of boom. I that's a that's a dream world, right? And right. you want to have that secondary updated as well. The secondary is very limited this year. So there's a lot of work to do in the defense, the defense that really overachieved. Mm-hmm. It can't, I don't think it can be counted on to overachieve again. You know, that's, you got to go out there and, and fix a few things. And I, I'm looking forward to it. To the Rams do also, We there's some coaching changes that some coaching uh, positions that need to be filled yet. So what, uh, in the next couple of episodes, I th- I'm pretty sure we're going to see those things getting filled as well. Any closing thoughts today, Mike?
2: Yeah, I'm going to throw a little hot take out there. Would you agree that the former offensive player of the year and Cooper Cuff, it's a wrap for him on a career?
4: With the Rams?
2: Or just in general?
4: No, I don't think it's a wrap. He paid, they have too much money on them. Well, I'm just saying, I, I, I'm i looking at
2: production. It looks like he's... uh the injury bug and just can't really separate anymore. And, you know, I don't know if that's cause he's still trying to come back from injuries or getting injured, but, uh, yeah. Well, I, and I, and I guess we'll talk about that, but it, it just seems like Cooper cuff might be one of those guys that the Rams may have to part with.
3: Well, they can't this year. Cause his dead cap is 47 mil. <laughs> so, yeah. you, you can't, th- I think what happens with him is, you know, I think it really depends, you know, throughout. We forget that the injury he had takes time to heal and that high ankle. You know, you I'm, I know you've had a high ankle before and it takes time and you need rest. Well, he was never going to get that rest during during the season. So you just had to kind of work no. it out. So we'll wait and see what happens with him. He's 31. He's going to be 31 for his 2024 season. And, you know, I don't know that that's necessarily the end. The guy still has great hands. He's one of the best runners in the game. You know, what it might be is you end up moving him into the slot and he makes his money in the slot, a.k.a., you know, like a like a Wayne Quebec kind of guy, you know. Oh, yeah. So and, and that's the kind of guy you need, too. You need those kind of guys, and then after twenty twenty four, his dead cap lowers, and matter of fact, a lot lowers with him in terms of overall cap hit. Well, the cap hit stays the same, but the dead cap, you can renegotiate at that point if you need to. He's the kind of guy you don't want to let go. He's he's a leader in the locker room. You know, I think he's one of the main reasons why Puka Nakua was so good this year. They had yeah. they formed that little club, and you know, to watch film and get better. And I think that's really what made Puka better. So. You know, I, I hesitate to think what will happen with his future, but it, what it may just be is you just readjust and you put him in the slot more, and you let him operate out of the slot, and he becomes a who a Wayne Corbett, a Jordy Nelson kind of guy. Who else comes off the? Who else comes to mind? Those guys who would just get in the middle. Wes route.
2: Welker, yeah,
3: Wes Welker kind of guy. They were never that. You know, and what made him special was his route running and his speed with that without route running. And, I, you know, we can't guarantee it's going to be there forever, but we can guarantee that I don't think the route running ever goes away. A good route runner is a good route runner. Jerry Rice, to me, is the best route runner of all time. Uh, negative. It would be Henry Ellert. Okay, well, you know, I can't dispute Henry Ellert, won the greats, one of my favorites. Nonetheless, I'm still going to say Jerry Rice. <laughs> you know, not because, and I hate saying it because he was a 49er, but um, he didn't have a ton of speed.
2: No, he he was definitely a precision route runner, no doubt about it. Uh, you know, and he, and, and and he what, would 40? catch it. Well, and he would catch it all over the field. So inside, outside, it, it didn't matter. Down the sideline, uh, wherever it needed to be caught, he was going to catch it. But. uh I, I I just throw that out there because you know, Cooper looks like and I, and I'm and I'm you know as you say I'm, I'll reserve some some of my and and just kind of take a wait and see. But I think what we may miss out on on some of these guys is once you become a family guy, it changes the narrative.
4: You I mean, like- really do start. You mean like Peter Griffin kind of family guy? Or are you talking about? You don't know what I'm talking I don't, about, do you? We, no, I don't. You've no. never watched but the I show think... Family Guy?
3: No.
2: <laughs> no, not that kind of family guy. <laughs> no, But I think with McVeigh, I think that had a lot to do with that. Because before he really got married and all that stuff, I don't know if he was dating before he got married as much you know, he was all in on football, but once you get married, you have a wife. And then when you bring kids in, you have people to get uh, home to, you know, I love, and I want to put your business out in the street, Dirk, but I love when we're trying to get together and you're like, Hey, I got to talk, took my kids in, you know? So you as a dad, a husband, as a father, that's high priority in your life as opposed to yeah. if you were just single, yeah I might be doing some things different. So, uh because sure. I know Cup got married, right? Cup got Couple married, years ago. you know,
3: and of course McVeigh got married. He got himself a kid now. I, that, I just right. yeah, I think you're right. You know, priorities do change. And and you know, that's why I've I've actually that's one of the reasons why I've I've questioned whether or not McVeigh is long for the coaching. Feel because he's wanting to start a family. Right. You know, being, being a head coach in the NFL is, you know, being a good one requires hours and hours and hours. And you're, you're using my example. Last shoot, we were going to podcast last night. And by the time we got time set, it was (laughs) like, you know what? I got a wife who's sick. I got two kids. I'm the healthy one right now. I got two kids who want my attention. I don't know that we'll get a good podcast in last night. So. Right we do the podcast this morning and everything's happy. I just, you know, at the root of it, sometimes I think we underestimate the impact families
4: have. Yes. And that's, by the way, not a bad thing. No. And that's not a bad thing, and, and I hope that, I hope that
3: in, like, in Cops' life and and some of the young veterans'
4: lives that does in the end you know, make them better people outside of the game. I'm sure it
3: does. There's no if you're a good father, if you are a devoted father, there's no, way you don't become a better person.
4: There's no way you have to. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. have
3: to. Uh, I had one more question, and they got one more. And we just kept adding more on,
4: and it yeah. left
3: <laughs> me now. So to think about it for next time around. But oh shoot, I remember now. Um, Tory Holt. Yes. Not getting in the Hall of Fame again. Andre Johnson, who became eligible after him, gets in. How are you? How do you feel about that?
2: Well, I, again, these are the kinds of things with this Hall of Fame stuff. People. That's why someone like me go, man, this stuff is kind of a joke. There, there's no way Andre Johnson gets in before Tory Holt. Yeah, I, I mean, you could say whatever. Yeah, Andre had a great year. I mean, career, but come on, man, Tory Holt, really? Let's go. Stop, stop playing around with these votes, and you know. And again, I don't know. The, it just seems like the reason why certain guys get in and other guys don't get in it's just too inconsistent. And again, this is what happens. It's almost like going to court, right, Derek? Depending on the trial. Uh, jurors you get means you can get on or off based on convincing evidence, I'll say, right? If there's convincing evidence one way that you're guilty, yeah, you should be guilty. But if it is convincing it's not guilty, and then you get convicted as guilty, you go, what? What happened? So that's kind of how I feel with Tory Hole. It, it, It then becomes okay, you start not being put in like you should, then it eventually seems like it goes to way of Harold Jackson. You may never get in. I don't know.
3: Well, Henry, Ellen, another one who might never get in.
4: Absolutely. And absolutely, absolutely
3: deserving of consideration. Well, let's, let us me look at the numbers real quick. Andre Johnson, yeah. his career receptions, 1062. For 14, 185, and 70 touchdowns. Okay. Tory Holt, 920 receptions, 13,382 for 74 touchdowns, had a higher yards per catch average. Um played 20 less games. 20 less games than Andre Johnson did. Seven time pro bowler was Andre Johnson, two times all pro. Um Tory Holt, seven time pro bowler one time all pro was on the all two thousands team.
4: And this is what really kind of irks me. You ready? Yeah. Um how many players out there can you say caught eighty or more balls for one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Seasons in a row. Right. How about this? Same amount. One, two, three, four,
3: five, six, seven, eight, over 1, a thousand yards. Matter of fact, over a thousand one hundred yards. That was Tory Holt. Those
4: are accomplishments
3: right. that even Andre Johnson did not achieve. Matter of fact, Andre Johnson had. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven years overall with over eighty catches, they were broken up. Um one, two, three, four, five, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven years of a thousand plus yards
4: broken up. Okay. So in his peak, in his peak, Tory Holt was more dominant
3: in terms of consecutive years. From 2000 to 2007, whereas Andre Johnson was, you know, up a bit up and down for various reasons, for injuries and so on and so forth. And not disputing him as a quality receiver, but how many receivers can you think strung together
4: consecutive years of dominance the way Tory Holt did? I can't think of many. No, and and and, and
2: Torrey Holt played with another guy that was on the other side.
3: Isaac Bruce, but do you so, think that actually costs him? Do you think people look at, do you think these writers look at, well, hey, he had help. He had people to draw coverage off of him. And that's why he, he accomplished what he accomplished.
2: No, the thing is, Derek, what you and I, I think we would agree on is there's one football, correct? If you're doing that with another guy who's doing something similar, that is impressive in itself because Andre Johnson got to do it a lot of years. He was the main guy. You see I, what I'm saying? Yeah,
3: but I want to throw this out there too. And I think people who didn't watch the Rams don't understand this. And, and Isaac Bruce fans do not get upset with me. You know, guy belongs in the Hall of Fame, of the best ever, okay? But I really believe that beginning at in two thousand, right, Torrey Holt was the number one receiver in that offense, not Isaac right. Bruce, right. You know, so we can say, well, Isaac Bruce took touches away for you know Isaac Bruce made things more advantageous for Holt. I think when you are the number one receiver, it's you making things more advantageous to your number two. Absolutely. Go back and watch those years again. You know, Tory Holt became the number one receiver in that offense.
4: No doubt about it. No doubt about it. Now, look at the other thing, and I know we got to shut it down.
2: But when I look at something as average in his worst year, and that was towards the end of his career, when everyone knows he's still the guy to a degree. His worst year, he still averaged twelve point four yards a, a grab.
3: Well, he, he goes one step further. Mean? Go his Come last on. year in the league, fifty one catches, fourteen point two. Okay, yeah, so what yeah. really, re- what yeah, really yeah. was it? What um, the, yeah, let's, yeah. he his knee just said his knee tapped out. Yeah. he was still excellent at the end. And plus, if you look at the 2009 Jaguars offense, it wasn't like it was a baller. But you go back to the Rams offenses, post 2004, 2005, so 2006, 2007, 2008, these were really bad Rams teams. Really bad Rams teams. And he still, you know, 2005, 2006, 2007, Mm -hmm. was doing what he did. And he shifted. He was a deep guy, you know, second year league, 19.9, 16.8. He shifted right. into being an all-purpose receiver, a guy who can go deep and a guy who can, you know, who, who can get over the middle. 12.8 yard to carry, that's telling me, he started catch, that's telling me that he was a guy who did everything. And right. this is my real issue. It's not Andre Johnson. Andre Johnson certainly deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. I'm just really struggling with the idea that Torrey Holt didn't get in first. He's been eligible longer, you know, and I think it's a sign of disrespect to a guy who from 2000 to 2007, especially he was one of the best receivers in the NFL. I mean, I'm, not, I'm talking about best in an era of elite receivers, by right. the way, Randy Moss, right? Okay. Randy Moss. You have who are the other ones in the era? Randy Moss, you have I'm I'm losing a couple getting late in the podcast but losing track, about Randy yeah, yeah, and but Randy Moss. And then you it, have it Terrell Owens and you know Tory Holt. But DC. It doesn't matter who is else.
2: Right you there have. with him. You, you you don't matter who you have. You you got him. You got him. And but what can't. I'm saying is
3: in an era of elite receivers. You know, I'm not saying that Torrey Holt was as good as those two guys were, but he was up there. Marvin Harrison, who's in the Hall of Fame. You know, these were, these guys, when you lined up against them as a defense defensive player, they scared the ever living crap out of you. What they could do to you, right? right? And it, and let's be honest, if, if the Rams had kept their crap together post 2003, his numbers are probably even higher. It's just well, just a it, really bummer to see.
2: Now. I'm going to throw this out here. Do you think it's also because Andre Johnson and the Houston Texans, not as old as of a franchise, don't have as many opportunities to have a guy in hall as compared to the Rams?
3: Maybe, but you know what? That's such a stupid argument. It would be, but it seems like, okay, maybe
2: they're going, oh, well, the Rams and, got enough guys. Yeah. Well, let's get this guy I'm, in. And I'm not,
3: yeah, I get you. But I'm not, I'm, not, like, I'm not saying that you're making stupid argument. I thought the same thing. Because yeah. this is how some of these writers think.
4: Right, well, right.
3: the the, the, the Texans don't have a lot of guys, so let's put this guy in.
4: Right. No. like That's, that's what that's it seems
3: to me. such garbage to me. And, you know, sooner or later... Are you just gonna let Toriel Holt just wilt out there? Yeah,
4: that's crazy.
3: You know, uh, the guy deserves more than that. And, and hey, what about Reggie Wayne, who's very close in terms of that same caliber player? Numbers very Again, similar. And but his time, I would say, is Reggie Wayne. Now. Yeah, I would say he's a lot better than I
2: don't want to say Marvin Harrison to dis disrespect Marvin Harrison. But Reggie Wayne just did a lot more, you know. I mean, we always bring up Jerry Rice, but having played against the guys, John Taylor, minus maybe some of the issues, he may have had injuries, and I know he he was, I think, uh, suspended for the drug policy or something one time. Uh, But when you play against guys, you kind of go that that guy's a dude it's even like sterling sharp i know he had a a shortened year with the injury but that dude could play and so i just it's just tough to you know the writers and i don't know maybe they should let some players get some of these votes in there or something because i i don't know that the writers depending on how they feel about a guy personally Maybe they didn't get an interview or something. I don't know, but for Tory Holt's case, let's keep it there. I, I, I think everything speaks for a high-character guy, led a team, played with great other players, played in a great era, played when you still could get hit. Uh, into just that last year, played one less game, only 15, and still almost had almost 800 yards receiving at a 14.2 clip average your last year. And as you noted, even with a somewhat suspect knee. So, I don't
4: know what more a guy can do. I don't know what more. Played longer. That's what he could have done. You know, and
3: I I interviewed him years ago, like a decade
4: ago.
3: I don't remember if I asked him about why he retired when he retired, but
4: you know, he moved on
3: with life. He was 33, and, of course, the example being Reggie White played till 36, Andre Johnson played till 35. I mean, let's just say that he play he hangs on for two more years, probably adds about 100 more catches 50 each year as so he averages that, and he'll retire with 1,020 receptions.
4: You yeah, know, I don't that's know. really the yeah. difference.
3: I mean, that's the only that I can think of, because the other two that are out there, you know, one Reggie Wayne, Reggie Wayne, who's still out there too, has over a thousand receptions, and Andre Johnson has over a thousand receptions. But again, you can't. How can you ignore one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, hmm. eight years in a row of eighty catches or more? Eight years in a row, eleven hundred yards more receiving, or more. And by the way. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven Pro Bowl appearances out of eight years back when the Pro Bowl mattered in terms right. of getting selected. Now it's everybody, you know, it's, it's just. I don't even really, I don't think the Pro Bowl anymore should
4: matter, but in that era it did matter. I just don't, I don't, I don't get these writers, man, and you have to wonder, right. you know,
3: Every, when they, when they go make these pre- presentations, when there's a representative in charge of making a presentation to the Hall of Fame committee or whatever for a person, I got to wonder how poor or how good a job his presenter
4: is doing for him. Right. I just wonder. And I'm done ranting now. Good, time, <laughs> right. good talk, man. Good deal. <laughs> good talk. That's something we look at look at. It.
3: All right, folks, follow us on Twitter or X at Talk Rams. Follow me at DC Paul. Follow Mike at 1 Duke 23. And it is time for us going back later this week with some more stuff. It's heating up. Watch out for the coaching signings. Watch out for with some movement with Kevin Dacha. I think that has to happen. And, do, you know, will there be a franchise tag? I guess we'll be talking about that.
4: We're out of here. Have a great one. We're out of here.